Tonight's show is brought to you by a misunderstanding of over 11,000 people when viewing an inexplicably viral post by NWA Tourism on Facebook, Vendetti Optics, and you, our listeners. Also, it's my podcast and I can do whatever the hell I want. is up all of you wayward souls and welcome back to the wayward stories podcast wayward stories is the podcast where we tell the tales of our adventures and our wanderings and our wonderings how's everyone doing tonight guys we got some interesting stuff going on got some interesting stuff going on so what let's just start with the obvious what the heck was that ad intro about justin well that ad intro was about the fact that we have a lot of new listeners tonight And do you know why we have a lot of new listeners tonight? Why all of you now have a whole plethora, a whole gaggle, if you will, of fellow listeners is because of a whole lot of people's misunderstanding about what link to click from a viral post. What does that mean? Okay, quick story, because this is fun and it's it's kind of fascinating how humans work. Um, I noticed a couple of weeks ago, one night I had a inexplicable spike in website views. And I mean, it was like a bunch, um, compared to normal, you know, usually we get a few here, a few there, you know, it's a slow growth. It's a slow burn. Like we've talked about, but I mean, this was like a big spike and I thought, what the heck am I, is this some kind of like a, a brute force attack by like a Trojan horse or something? Is this some kind of virus next day? It went up like triple that day after that. And it kept going up. And I was like, what the heck is going on? And I could not figure out for the life of me what was causing this. And I did not believe it was real humans for the longest. I thought there was some kind of weird glitch sending me false readings or possibly the website was being hacked or something like that. Um, but I noticed people were actually clicking things and all our podcast listens were going up. The downloads were going up. The YouTube channel started to go up on every possible metric. And so finally it dawned on me, okay, all of these, the 98% of these are coming from Facebook. And I'm like, what the heck ever goes viral on Facebook? And I know it's not something I posted, right? So I just typed into the Facebook search bar, waywardstories.com into, um, search for posts. And I come to find that my work for Sherpa and a recent, well, you guys remember, we did a whole podcast about it. The riding the rails through the Ozark mountains, right? Um, when I got to ride the A&M, um, for Sherpa and for NWA tourism, well, they posted that they didn't bother to tag me, but they did, thank God, which they only do like one in 10 times, give me credit for writing the post and um, f- the, f- the photographs. And so anyway, I, in my infinite foresight, had realized that the best thing I could do when wanting to be credited for any of this stuff is put waywardstories.com right? To send people towards the podcast, because that's what this is really all about anyway. And so sure enough, that post went viral which I feel kind of proud that as I go back through there, there was two at the same time that were going viral that were both things that I had written and photographed. And as I scanned the rest of their posts, no one else went viral, just the stuff Justin wrote and photographed. So I felt pretty good about that. But regardless, we had over 11,000 website views in like five days time and a whole lot of podcast downloads. And so we got a whole lot of new listeners and it's all thanks to people clicking on 
my website, which was just giving me credit for the photos when I think they were really trying to go see about riding the A&M train. So for all of you that happen to listen to some of the podcast and are here tonight, welcome aboard. Hope you enjoy the show. And um, yeah, we're going to get moving here pretty quickly. I just had to tell that story because this is, it was hilarious and it was really cool. It was like, I was so lost. Where the heck is all this traffic coming from? And I didn't even believe it was real humans until I figured out it actually was real humans. And it was really fascinating to find that those Facebook posts went kind of viral in terms of Facebook, but they only had like three and a half thousand likes. I had 11,000 views. That's a lot of impressions, y'all. That is a enormous conversion rate of impressions to click through. It was like, what is that, like 100,000% or it's like 10,000% more than what people actually even interacted with the original post. They clicked and came straight to the website, which a lot of you probably felt short shrifted. But hopefully you figured out you could just Google to go actually find a way onto the train. And I am happy for any of you that managed to discover the podcast this way and I'm very grateful that for that and we're happy to have you here tonight. So, with that said, we will do housekeeping really quickly and that is if you do like the show, please subscribe wherever you're listening and please like and share, please tell your friends word of mouth and the biggest and most important thing you could ever do and garner the gratitude of my little wayward son heart would be to write a review and give us a rating, hopefully five stars. Hopefully we're worth five stars. Either way, if you could rate and review, we would greatly appreciate that. And if any of you would like to get in touch, mywaywardstory at gmail.com. I love to hear from listeners. And if you got any great stories or great itineraries, we sometimes try to work those into podcast episodes because that's what we're all about here is telling our stories of trying to find ourselves chasing our passions in order to find ourselves that's what this is all about so feel free to get in touch and i don't guess i need to restate the website because that's how you found yourself here to start with waywardstories.com we'll do it anyway anyway guys let's get into tonight what are we going to talk about if you've looked at the website or the podcast title got website on the brain now if you listened or looked at the podcast title we're going to go on some road trips tonight to some battlefields here in the ozark mountains i wasn't even sure how to title it i was going to say battlefields of western arkansas but then i realized well i'm going to delve into missouri and oklahoma as well and anarchist as I might be, I just felt that'd be a little deceiving. So I thought, you know what? They all sort of tie into the Ozarks, more or less. So what are we talking about battlefields? Like wayward stories, right? We talk about a little bit of everything. Again, the whole idea from the jump is chasing our passions, the things we care about, and and attempting to find ourselves in doing that. And, And it has a whole lot to do with travel. It has a whole lot to do with getting outside. And the goal in the end, and I'm restating this for all of the new listeners, so the rest of you just hang tight for a minute, is to hopefully get you up off of your butts and get you out living your life. And along the way, hopefully, you come up with some cool ideas of new stuff to go check out. I hope that all of you don't actually check out tonight, because when I say battlefield, you probably immediately think this is some more of that nerdy history stuff Justin does, and it might be just a little bit. But what I'm here to tell you is I'm going to keep it extremely high level, because I know I will bore you to tears if we really get into it. What I want to do is give you some ideas of places you can go on a road trip, places you can get some more stamps for your National Parks Pass and stamps for your State Park Passes, as well as some awesome places to eat and basically just 
some new ideas, some new things you can get out and do. And I think that history, when it comes down to it, though, most people kind of start yawning. If you are going to a place where something extremely significant happened, even the most anti-history caring for person in the world can actually kind of appreciate maybe the the gravity of where they're at. I see this all the time down at um, the historic site here in town where I do interpretation. I've yet to have someone that wasn't really, really engaged after I get done telling the stories. And it has a whole lot to do with their standing in the footsteps of some extremely famous people on the ground of some incredibly significant events. Um, and somehow that hits everyone. It hits everyone everywhere. So hang around tonight because you're going to find, if nothing else, some really awesome road trip drives, some some scenic drives, as well as some great places to eat because I'm going to try to keep it interesting for everyone. And also you might learn just a little bit along the way. So when I say battlefields, what am I talking about? For a lot of you guys going battlefields in Arkansas, yes, they will be civil war. A lot of people don't realize that a lot of civil war stuff happened west of the Mississippi River. That's kind of a joke amongst historians is, of course, the civil war didn't happen west of the Mississippi because it doesn't get any attention because we don't have any bull runs, right? Or Antietam's or um, Gettysburg's, you know, names that even people who don't care know. You know, they had some massive battles out here, but over here, in Arkansas, in Missouri, in Oklahoma, which was the Indian Territory at the time, and even out into New Mexico, there was civil war stuff going on, guys, even out in California. But we had some battles here, some pretty decent ones, with a lot of people engaged in a lot of deaths. And um, it's really, really fascinating, which is I feel like my history teachers in high school super, like, failed me. Because, like, you want to talk about perfect, perfect, like, engaging teachable material is like, guys, do you know that you live literally on this battlefield right next to it? Or you can go over here and see this place and this major event happened and blah, blah, blah. Like that right there would engage a lot more people. And I never knew any of this, any of this, except for driving by little, you know, state historical society markers on the side of the road that say the battle of like backbone mountain. So anyway, believe it or not, there is some significant things that happened here in the western half of the state, all throughout our beautiful Ozark Mountains. And there are some great scenic drives you can take. And we are going to talk about a pretty good handful of those tonight. And like I said, don't worry. I'm going to keep it very, very high level on the historical aspect of it so as not to bore all of you to sleep. We're going to try to keep it pretty quick paced. And I'm going to tell you just a few little vignette stories to go with each one to really kind of kind of make it real for you. So what is the first place we're going to talk about tonight? We're going to start in Missouri, actually, because it kind of kicks everything off um, for Civil War action happening in, well, here in western Arkansas and in Missouri. And there's a lot that went on in Missouri. Missouri ended up being like the third most fought over state in the entire United States. Well, in the on the entire continent at that point, because we had secession. It wasn't the United States anymore. Half of them weren't. But Missouri ended up being a hotly contested battleground with a lot of fights because it was sharply divided, you know, pro-slave, anti-slave. It was a very fought over state. So a lot happened there, but we're only going to touch on one place that ties into this very kind of Western Arkansas theater of the battles. And that is Wilson's Creek National Battlefield. Super cool place. 
went on a trip there. I actually ended up being on Memorial Day by accident. It wasn't like planned that way. But Jessica and I ended up at Wilson's Creek on Memorial Day for one of things to do and happened to stumble into what they call their luminaries tour. And it was super cool. And that's what our little vignette story of this battlefield is going to cover. But first, let me give you the high points of Wilson's Creek and why you might find it of interest. Number one, it's in a beautiful setting. It's in the Ozark Mountains. It's in southern Missouri. It's a beautiful, beautiful place to drive. It's extremely scenic. Um, It was a pretty significant battle at the time. There was over 18,000 men engaged between the Confederates and the Union and all the home guards and the volunteer units and everything else. 18,000 is a ton of people. And there was between 2,300 and like 2,800 casualties. And you get into that a lot in Civil War stuff is one side reports this many, the other reports this many. And there were so many people that went MIA, so many people are taken prisoners, so many people that died, died later. It's really hard to tell sometimes. And we're talking about massive numbers of people. So between 2,300 and 2,500 people killed in this engagement that had over 18,000 people in it. It was a big damn deal. It was a big dang deal. And what you get to do is drive through this battlefield. It is a driving tour that is, let's see here, 4.9 miles long. And along the way, there are several places you can stop, and it will tell you all about where you are at. Like, number one stop is Gibson's Mill, and it it will say something like this. The Confederate camp's northern end was here. Missouri State Guard headquartered 2,500-man division here, etc., etc. It'll go as deep as you want it to. You can keep it high level, or you can really get into the nuts and bolts. But of all the places at Wilson's Creek that are really, really interesting to check out, the Ray House in Cornfield was a super interesting place. It is a house that was setting just off of the battlefield, and there was a family there. If you go there, you will see their story interpreted. You'll find out all little, you know, all kinds of little snippets about who was where. That's one of the things about the Civil War, guys. It really tore into civilian life in a lot of places. There were some places the battlefield was mostly an empty battlefield, but there were some places they were fighting right through the heart of a town, and it affected people in a very real way, as we're going to see in a few little instances tonight. But from this location, you can see this man's house, the original house, and you can even stand on the porch where he watched the battle from, John Ray. And you can see where the battlefield was. And y'all, this is one of those things, when you connect on that level, when you stand somewhere like that and you know what happened, and you picture it, you can picture it. You can imagine it pretty darn easily looking across this valley with cannon fire, and shells flying, and bullets flying, and people screaming, and yells. It would be terrifying. Can you imagine seeing it from across the field, wondering, you know, is it going to spill your way? Nobody back then knew how battles went. Nobody knew what was going to happen, that they were just going to stalemate in the field until someone gave up. Nobody knew if they were going to come raid your house and burn it and take all of your things, whoever won or whoever lost, in the middle of a retreat. That must have been terrifying. And all of these people had kids. And kids were there. And we have some stories from some of those kids and the things they saw and heard. It's really, really powerful stuff. It really, really makes you think. And it really, really gives you some perspective on modern day, in our modern lives. And it makes you think about humanity and what humans are capable of. It's it's pretty fascinating stuff. Um, Of all the places that you can stop here, 
The Ray Cornhouse, the Ray House in Cornfield is one that I definitely recommend. It's an easy stop. The other one is the Edwards Cabin and Price's headquarters because this requires a little bit of hike and it'll get your butt out of the car and get you hiking down into a beautiful valley. We hike down into this valley. It's not a super long hike. I don't have it here in front of me, but it's not a super long hike. Um, and you get down into the valley. It's gorgeous. There was a buck chasing a doe through the field when we walked down there when we were there and you cross this creek and there were deer in the creek and that was beautiful. And then you walk over to this little cabin that's in the middle of this giant field just off of the creek. And it's a very serene setting, but you also get to see interpreted for you what was going on there. And that was like the vast majority of, I believe it was the Confederates forces. It was the Confederates forces that were basically camping in that Valley when they had a, this surprise attack launched on them by the union forces and you're standing right in the middle of it, guys. You're standing where they were. And it connects. It connects. Is all I'm saying is it connects. And it's a beautiful scene. If nothing else, it's a beautiful scene and a great place to do some bird watching, some wildlife photography, and really kind of let your imagination go. There are several other places along the battlefield, but the last place we're going to talk about tonight for the sake of brevity, for the sake of not boring you all to sleep, and for the sake of um, moving on to the other stops as we go along through tonight, the other um, locations, is going to be Bloody Hill. And that is where the majority of the fighting occurred at Wilson's Creek. And it was a big dang deal, guys. It was a big deal. This is where the most people died. This is where the hottest fighting occurred. And it's kind of crazy to think about. The Union had a stronghold on the top of this ridge, and the Confederates just kept throwing themselves at them. And it was a lot of carnage. And during this battle, the very first Union general of the entire war was killed. Um, and not the first Union. He wasn't the first Union general. But he was the first one that was killed in the entire Civil War, and that was Nathaniel Lyon. And he died there on the battlefield. There's also a sinkhole that you can hike to where 30 Union soldiers were buried quite hastily. They were later exhumed and taken elsewhere, but that sinkhole still exists. There are cannons in place to cross Bloody Hill where you can see what's going on. And this is the story I want to tell you, the vignette I want to tell you about bloody hill and about our time when we went to wilson's creek my story revolves around the fact that we were there when they were going to do this luminaries tour and what the idea of the luminaries tour is is they they get little like white paper lunch sack they fill the bottom with sand and they put candles in them led lights flashlights were in our situation um and of course they light them up and then after dark they have these little lights these little glowing white lights spread all over the battlefields um, where men fell. And it's not like exactly where someone died, but they're spread out across the battlefield where people died. Um, and it's quite a moving thing to see. And here, where we had upwards of 2,300 people die in this battle, you can imagine they're spread all over the battlefield and from the right locations. It's really kind of, uh, it's really a moving sight. Already said it, but that's what it is. It's a moving sight to see. We just happened to be there by accident, not on purpose, on this day while they were doing this. And fortunately for us, the park staff there was awesome and was willing to let us hang around, even though this was a reservations only tour you had to take by bus. And we kind of like backdoored our way in. I said, hey, well, when does the park close? Five o'clock. Okay, 
there's 4.9 mile drive around. Are you gonna are you gonna lock us in if we're out there at the battlefield? Is it getting dark? And they're like, no, we're sure the Rangers. We're gonna come around and we're gonna do a sweep to get everyone on out after we close the park before the bus comes through. So you guys just hang around as long as you want until you know we get rid of you. So it's what we did. And as we hung out out there, finally the Rangers showed up. It was pushing 5:30, 5:40. This is Memorial Day, six o'clock. I think it was around 5:40, and it's starting to get dark. And this is the story I want to tell. I went down onto the battlefield and it is getting dark and I am surrounded. I'm by myself alone in the middle of where the heaviest fighting was occurring. And I'm surrounded by these luminaries lighting up the night all across the battlefield. And I'm there thinking I'm going to take a picture of a cannon, which you will see if you go to Instagram, because I'm going to post it as the image for tonight's episode. This is going to be our thumbnail on YouTube as well. Um, And I'm going to get this picture. And as I'm standing there alone in the dark, in the middle of a field where a huge number of men died, upwards of 2,000, in front of these cannons, trying to get this photograph, it hits you, right? It hits you. The kind of the gravity of what's going on. And this is one of those moments that I talk about on the show sometimes, just like when we saw that sun dog and we talked about it back in the uh, grazing Arizona episode, just last episode, or when I was in California and I just happened to be at Pfeiffer beach, one of the like 10 days out of the year that the sun sets through the keyhole arch, unless you're out there living, when these moments happen, you will miss them. They are happening all over the world every day. But unless you're out there, you can't happenstance stumble into one. Well, I stumbled into one here on this night. I'm on the battlefield. I'm out there amongst the luminaries. I'm below this cannon, cannon, setting up the shot to get this photograph, to try to tell this story. You know, this is what this is about. This is about sharing and telling these stories. And as I am, I'm all alone down there. It's cold. It's dark. And I said Memorial Day. Let me back up. It was freaking Veterans Day. Because I was like, what's it doing dark at 540 on Memorial Day? My brain just freaking fried. It was Veterans Day. So forgive me. It was getting dark. It was nearly dark. It was around 540. It was freaking cold. And I'm standing there going to take this picture. And suddenly I hear a hoot owl in a tree to my, I would say, I think it was probably the northeastern side. And then to my west another hoot owl starts to talk back and they are talking across this battlefield where over 2000 men died. And I don't know, you guys know I'm a history nerd. I'm all about folklore and legend. And for any of you that know anything about folklore, the world over hoot owls, any kind of owl actually, but owls usually are viewed as portents of death or harbingers of death. Perhaps they are bringing it. Perhaps they are warning of it. Perhaps they are simply lamenting it. But owls are associated with death. And y'all, in that moment, I just like had chills. It was such a moment. I'm on this battlefield where so many men fought, for better or worse, for what they believed in, and paid the ultimate price. On Veterans Day, the day that we honor people who paid that ultimate price as Americans. And two hoot owls begin a conversation across this dark battlefield as I look up over the horizon and these cannons backlit and and lit from beneath by these, these soft glowing white lights spread out all over the battlefield. And you 
Let me tell you something. That was a moment. No matter who you are, if you were there to witness that, that is a moment. And it's one that I'll never forget. And I'm not that big into Civil War history. I'm getting more interested now that I'm down here at Fort Smith, you know, interpreting when I have the chance and learning and training. I'm getting more interested, but it's just never really been my thing. And I just say that to point out that Civil War stuff is not really my thing. But I had a moment there just because of kind of the gravity of the situation. And I think that's the value that these places bring to all of us. Even if you're not super interested in the subject matter, guys. There are stories there to be told that are human stories. No matter what, that connect to all of us if we're paying attention. And it's that expansion of us as humans the thoughts that it causes us to, to chase, the awareness that maybe we gain of ourselves and the world around us, the world we live in, how we interact within it, how other people have that we learn. And we learn more about us. And at the end of the day, we become a little bit broader of a person. We come, become a little bit more um, enlightened as a person. We become a little bit better as a human being. And that's why I'm all about chasing your passions, whether it's nerdy history like me or hiking like me or paddling like me, like all the things, my interests are broad. Yours may be a little less broad. You may not care that much about one or the other, but the whole idea is there's something there out there that is not found sitting on your couch or waiting for life to happen. You have to make life happen. And that's why I bring you these stories. But anyway, that is my story of our time at Wilson's Creek, which ended rather unceremoniously. It was a magical moment. And when I walked back to the top, it was about time for us to go. And we were ready to pack up anyway. But then a gentleman who was armed came along. And he was more grumpy than the other wonderful park rangers. They're like, we don't care. Hang around. It doesn't really matter to us. Well, it mattered to him. And he informed us in no uncertain terms that the park closed a long time ago. And we were like, cool, we're out anyway. And, um, it ended up being a really, really great adventure that came out of nowhere. And it's just one of those things, guys. It's just one of those things. You got to be there to experience it. So get off your butts and go experience it. So anyway, that is the battlefield of Wilson's Creek. And you can go down that rabbit hole as far as you want. There are people out there that get into the civil war and you guys, they could spend the rest of their life just picking apart one battle and all the movements and who was involved and, you can take it as deep as you want. You can keep it high level, show up, drive around this beautiful park, and then go grab something to eat down the road. Or you can go as deep as you want to. And I leave that to you to decide for yourself. But we're going to move on to our next battlefield before we go to break. And then we will come back with a few more. But before we go to break, let's go down to Pea Ridge, which is in Arkansas. And it was a major engagement in and of itself, in western, northwestern Arkansas, in the Ozark Mountains. Pea Ridge saw nearly 17,000 men engaged and had 3,400 casualties. So we're talking on the order of 1,000 less men engaged, but 1,000 more men killed on the battlefield. Pea Ridge is a very well-preserved battlefield. It is very well interpreted, and it is itself a seven mile driving tour and there's a lot going on in Pea Ridge and I'm going to try to hit the high points for you guys here. Now Pea Ridge and Wilson's Creek both 
National Historic Sites. So at both of them, you can get a National Park stamp for both locations. And I believe definitely Pea Ridge. I'm not so certain about Wilson's Creek. Pea Ridge, for sure, you can also get a National Historic Site stamp for the Trail of Tears National Historic Trail because the Trail of Tears did come right across the old wire road that passed right through Pea Ridge and part of why that battle unfolded the way it did was the old telegraph road. Anytime you see old wire road, usually that means that was the road that ran alongside where some of the earliest telegraph wires were strung from one place to another. In this situation, it was from Springfield, St. Louis, and Springfield down to Fort Smith, which is where I'm at, because Fort Smith, in a way, was kind of a little bit of the center of the universe over here, in a very real sense, and as much as the Civil War goes, which we will talk about a little bit later. But as far as Pea Ridge goes, a thousand more men perished, up to 3,400, and there was 17,000 engaged. It's a really cool place. All of these places have beautiful museums, guys, that are really well interpreted. You go in, you can get a background on that particular battlefield in general, and a lot of them very heavily kind of lean into showing you the civilian side of things because the civil war was fought here obviously on american soil and that's the likes of which no one of us has ever really seen since that time right and it was a ginormous scale human disaster um and we will touch on that just a little bit as we go along again i'm going to keep things high level and just tell the little vignettes the main thing that you're going to run into at p ridge again a seven mile driving tour which is super neat it's beautiful ozark mountains again it's up on the plateau it's up in the ozark highlands there's a beautiful overlook and it is let's see well we have the west and the east overlook and both of them offer you a very good view of the entire battlefield. Also, just before that, you have Lee Town and the Lee Town Battlefield, which was a portion of the battlefield here. And it's also where two Confederate generals were killed near this location, Ben McCulloch and James McIntosh. Y'all, I mean, again, Civil War was a different time, a different kind of warfare. I can't, we can't imagine like losing a general, you know, in our modern wars in Afghanistan and different places. They don't even, they're not even anywhere near the front lines. Well, that's, the Civil War was different. Um, Elkhorn Tavern is one of the coolest places that most people are going to want to check out. You get to Elkhorn Tavern, there's going to be a little bit of hike. It is on the original old wire road. You can see the old trace. You can even hike it a little ways and you can see Elkhorn Tavern. And it is a really neat old building. It is not the original building, but it is a reconstruction of the original. You can get an idea of what things looked like there. And again, it's going to be very well interpreted and tell you all about the battle, the fighting, the people that were there. And again, the just kind of wholesale destruction guys and standing there again, on these battlefields and even walking down old wire road, it can transport you somewhere else. And there's something about that to me that I just find absolutely fascinating. It's just very, very engaging. And again, I think the big story that we take away from the civil war, hopefully me as a historian, what I hope people take away is a deeper thought process about how we handle incredibly contentious subjects slavery obviously incredibly contentious subject at the time but did it need to come to what it did the bloodiest conflict in american history and the destruction of millions of people's livelihoods 
homes, farms, fields, that it need to come to that. We have a lot of contentious subjects today, and I think we handle them a lot better. I mean, we get in flame wars on Facebook, right? And that's just a whole different subject. But the point is, is we're not killing each other wholesale, right? And I think that we learn. I think that we learn from these kinds of things. But it's really, really valuable in my mind to go and see the places where, you know, some of the darkest periods we've ever faced, as at least Americans, there are darker periods in history in other places, but this one's pretty dark, no matter how you count it on a scale. And there's value in that, connecting to that and understanding it, Um, trying to understand it's a better way to put it, because sometimes it can be a little bit inexplicable and hard to understand. But Pea Ridge is a beautiful, beautiful national park site, national historic site. They have a wonderful museum. It is a beautiful um, park area. The battlefield is amazing. It's very, very cool. There are cannons freaking everywhere. If you were into photography and also wildlife, we saw deer everywhere at this site as well. Because as with all national and state sites, you know, it's a it's a game refuge. No hunting, no fishing allowed. And the game, know it. And you're going to get a lot of wildlife opportunities and just a lot of photograph opportunities. Um, got a really cool picture there of this line of cannons that stretches into the distance to the horizon as far as you can see. Anyway, Pea Ridge is an excellent battlefield to visit and you will enjoy it very, very much. And to wrap up on Pea Ridge and take us into break, I will tell you these two battlefields could be done in the same day. Um, quite possibly might be easier to do it on two days, but they could be done in the same day. They're both driving tours. They're both very, very significant places, very interesting places, very beautiful places. And with that, we are going to wrap up the first half of tonight's show and we will come back and get into the second half and we will try to keep things moving in the second half. Cause not only do I need to finish recording this and editing it so I can get on with like homework for the rest of my night, but also I don't want to keep you guys here too long tonight. So we will catch you after the break. What is up, all of you wayward souls? I want to tell you guys about our newest sponsor, Bendetti Optics, a brand based right here in the good old U.S. of A., Portland, Oregon, to be exact. And I bought my first pair of Bendetti sunglasses about a year and a half ago and fell in love with them so much so that I got online and ordered a couple of more pair. And when I did, there was a small shipping snafu, an order fulfillment snafu, and I got on the phone. Gave him a call, and guess what? I get a call back from who? One of the big men themselves, right there in Portland, from the top of the chain. Have a great conversation, and we end up starting this great relationship we have. They more than made right, the little snafu that occurred. And I am now a huge proponent of them because I can tell you from personal experience, they are good people. And they are trying to compete with the big boys out there coming in at a price point of about $40, but using the exact same frame material, TR90, and the same polarization process as the big guys. As it turns out, something I think we are already probably knew in our hearts, when you buy big name sunglasses, you're buying a big name. Not necessarily any more quality than you can get somewhere else, like at Bendetti Optics. They have 29 different styles. They have multiple polarization options for whatever climate you happen to live in. And they back it up with like this lifetime guarantee that if your dog eats your sunglasses, it doesn't matter how you break them. Send it back in with a check to cover shipping and handling and you're golden. You got a new pair on the way. These guys are truly trying to do it right. And they have this philosophy that a really good pair of sunglasses should not cost you so much that you are afraid to wear them. And I think all of us outdoorsmen can relate to that. 
So if you guys, like me, are very practical and like to get more bang for your buck and wear some great looking sunglasses, check out BendettiOptics.com. That's B-E-N-D-E-T-T-I Optics.com. Or you can go over to Instagram slash Optics. And that I highly suggest, whether you buy a pair or not, just to check out the cutest pupper you will ever see modeling sunglasses. Once again, that's BendettiOptics.com. And make sure and let them know Wayward Stories sent you. And welcome back. Thank you guys for sticking around through our sponsor break. All right. Let's get this road trip back on the road. Um, The next two places we're going to go kind of go hand in hand. They kind of go tandem because, well, they're very close together. And that's like not um, coincidental. That's quite incidental because the first was a battle that happened that set off was the impetus for the second battle that happened. And the first one is the Battle of Cane Hill. And it's just a few miles away from where the Battle of Prairie Grove occurred. And one of the two is a state park, Prairie Grove State Park. And we're going to hit it second because in order, it happened at Cane Hill first. Um, again, I'm not going into the details of why these battles have happened. All I can tell you is everyone wanted Missouri. The Union wanted to make it into Arkansas and get a backdoor into a way to kind of flank the entire Confederacy. And they really, really needed to keep Missouri as a Union state because it was kind of a pivotal swing state. And of course, that's why the Confederates wanted Missouri is because it would have been a huge boost to their war effort to try to strangle out the North. So a lot of this, this gets really ferocious up here. And it's not just because of the importance of Missouri. Um... And its status, whether it's going to be free or slave, Union or Confederate, it's more than just that. It's because Arkansas and Missouri both, and Arkansas even more so than Missouri, was very sharply divided within itself. You know, the entire Civil War, we talk about the, the fratricide, right? Brother against brother, cousin against cousin. Two men on the opposite side of battle lines that may have had their hand in the same cookie jar in the same grandmother's house because they are truly related. And they lived out a life together until they became sharply divided over a matter of great moral implications. Um, and in Arkansas, it was a particularly divided state. And a lot of that had to do with the line of demarcation right along really the Ozarks where southeastern Arkansas was a heavy, heavy cotton producing portion of the state and had a lot of slavery. And in northwest Arkansas, while by no means was slave free, it was a lot more union leaning and there was a whole lot of ferocity that went on in a lot of these battles because it was very deeply personal to a lot of people. Um, and, you know, it's it's not pretty. Um, but we're going to talk about, real quickly, Battle of Cane Hill. Cane Hill is a beautiful little community just outside of Prairie Grove, Arkansas, just to the west of Fayetteville. And it's a very interesting place. What you're going to find if you go to explore Cane Hill is a very, very historic cemetery with a lot of very, very old graves in it. There is a grave in there that has a Revolutionary War veteran in that cemetery. And we found that grave. It was very fascinating. They have a beautiful museum right in their old downtown area that will tell you a whole lot of the story of the settlement of Cane Hill, which in and of itself is quite fascinating. It's one of the earliest colleges in the entire state of Arkansas was in Cane Hill, um, which was burned to the ground during the Civil War actions. Um, that's really going to be the story you're going to find in Cane Hill is how it was affecting 
local people. And we're going to see that in Prairie Grove as well. These two battles really had a very significant impact on the civilians that were all around, you know, people who had just been trying to live their everyday lives and they kind of got caught in the wrong place. And these battles happened wherever they were going to happen based on well, strategic value. Cane Hill in and of itself was a place that had a lot of mills. There was a lot there that either side in this conflict could make use of. They all needed materials. Both sides, Union and Confederate, were very poorly supplied because they were really far out in the outer reaches of their respective entities, the Confederate states and the Union states, you know, they're far away from the hottest fighting that had, you know, hundreds of thousands of men engaged and dying all over the place. And so they kind of didn't get first dibs on all the great goodies. And a lot of what both armies were doing was trying to take areas just so they could hay their horses and feed their men and come up with clothing for their soldiers and gunpowder the civilian populations get very heavily affected in the trans-Mississippi theater is the best way to put it. And you're going to find a lot of that at Cane Hill. But what's very cool about Cane Hill is you can take their driving tour. I have the sheet right here in front of me, and I'm not going to get into this because it's turned here at Fly Creek Church and go there for 0.7 miles. And then over here is where so-and-so had their camp. And over here is where this skirmish occurred. And you would be lost as I would be lost trying to tell it to you. But if you go to Cane Hill, you can get these directions for the driving tour and you can make their little driving tour and see how this battle unfolded because it was kind of a running battle. There was a bit of a standoff for a minute and they traded blows, but then it became a retreating action and it became a pretty long battlefield because they were fighting their way as they were trying to get away where the Confederates and Blunt and the Union held the field and ended up staying there in Cane Hill, which is what set up the Battle of Prairie Grove, which became in and of its right a pretty dang significant battle and really marked the end of the Confederates' attempts at holding the Arkansas Territory. They they were done at that point. Missouri was solidly going to be Union, and it was really a big point in the war for this Trans-Mississippi Theater and for the Union in general because the Union, I don't know, you guys aren't into Civil War history. That's fine. But the Union didn't do so hot at first. It didn't look so good early on in the Civil War, and they needed all the wins they could get throughout the entirety of the conflict, which lasted, a God, four years, a long time. But anyway, once you go out and check out Cane Hill, go to the museum, check in with the folks there and learn a little bit about the history. Let them tell you, Cane Hill is an incredibly historic place in all of Arkansas. Very, very early settlement, very old, very, very old. And they can give you all of the details and really fill you in and, and show you some of the historic properties there in town and set you up to see their little driving tour here about what happened at the Battle of Cane Hill and also set you up for how Prairie Grove happens. And that is where we're heading next to Prairie Grove, where you can get your state park stamp and you get to take a little driving tour in and of itself. And if you play your cards right, you can get a battlefield tour. You'll just have to check in with them and you can have a Miss Madison Griffin give you a battle group, a battlefield tour. She was someone who spent 10 years over here at Fort Smith where I was. And, um, 
was the a protege um, from the same guy that is teaching me how to be an interpreter. And anyway, she did a great job. We just happened to stumble in there on a day when she was going to be giving a battlefield tour. And we got to take a little walking hike down to where the heaviest fighting occurred at Prairie Grove. And it's very, very fascinating, again, to walk to walk amongst where these things happened and have, especially if you've got a professional interpreter like on Madison is, she did such a great job, guys. It was very, very engaging and it was so informational and it makes it real to you. You get the stories of what was going on at the time. And the number one place you're going to end up at if you take that little tour, and also you take the driving tour, you can end up at all of these places. They have their driving tour. It is a five-mile driving tour with several stops along the way. A whole lot of early structures that would have been there in the community early on, as well as this is like the best preserved Battlefield or one of the very best preserved battlefields in all of the United States, which is saying a lot, y'all. It has not been um, looted indiscriminately like many of the other battlefields in the after, you know, in the in the years that followed after. It's a very well preserved battlefield. They have a beautiful museum that tells the story of Prairie Grove and why it was significant. How it was kind of like the final hurrah for the Confederates, and it it was it was over for them in the state of Arkansas, more or less, except for guerrilla warfare. Um, and it also interprets a whole lot about, again, the locals, the people that were affected. Um, and I'm going to tell you a short story from one of the locals perspective. And we're going to do, um, we're going to exhibit one of those little vignettes I talked about to kind of give you an idea of why these places are so important to remember. Um, why they're so important to go to and see and get these stories. Again, these stories in, um, in and of themselves are kind of wayward stories. They're kind of lost to history because time goes on. We all move on and we forget about the human toll. And that's what this life's all about, y'all. I don't know. We forget that, I think, all the time because we've become quite desensitized to everything in the world due to just the proliferation of media of all kinds. But like at the end of the day... It's all about the fact that we're humans and we're here and we're trying to survive together. And we got, we have to survive together or we're just kind of screwed, man. This planet's the only one we got. There may be some more out there, scientists have proven, but we're not getting there in our lifetimes, right? So we need to figure out how to work together and be decent humans on this one. You know, we need to do that first. And it's these kind of things that I really feel help us all to be a little more understanding, have a little more perspective, be a little bit more um, well-rounded in our understandings of just kind of how everything works and how things can devolve so quickly. And it they're cautionary tales. Anything with any kind of major catastrophe, like say the Civil War in the United States is a cautionary tale, or it should be taken as such if we're like doing it right as human beings. But anyway, the two places that I'm going to talk about on this driving tour, or you can do it again as a hiking tour, and it's a combination of both if you go get the full experience, is the Borden House and the Orchard. Now, the Borden House was had the unfortunate distinction of just happening to be in just the wrong place at just the wrong time. Basically, this battle happened and raged all around it, and poor Bordens, because they weren't going to have a house when this was all over with, right? 
anyway, I'm going to give you like actually what it says here in the Parks brochure about the boarding house because it's like less than a paragraph. The heaviest fighting of the day took place around this house and orchard. After the battle, General Heron reported 250 dead within just a 100-yard radius of the house. One soldier stated the ground was muddy with blood on the hillside where Confederate canyon, cannons under the command of Captain William D. Blocker sat during the battle. More information about this area can be found by taking the short walk to the Borden house. So they were trying to hold this position and they were trying to take this position side for side. Everyone wanted this position and those cannons were kind of a problem and a whole lot of men died there. And I will also tell you about the orchard quickly because it's attached to the Borden house. This was their orchard. And it was during the first Union charge that the 19th Iowa Infantry reached the southern edge of this apple orchard before heavy fire from Shelby's Cavalry to the east halted their advance. Lieutenant Colonel Samuel McFarland died instantly when nine musket balls penetrated his body. The 37th Illinois Infantry entered the orchard during the second charge and they were also forced to withdraw. Then the 26th Indiana Infantry charged just east of the orchard during the second Union charge and suffered heavy casualties before retreating down the ridge. Long story short, three different regiments tried to attack that orchard and walked into basically a crossfire that had been set up. And they lost over 50%. That 50% casualties in this one little area. That's brutal. That is brutality. And you can go out there and you can even pick the apples in that orchard when they are in season and they are ripe. And you are welcome to do that. You are encouraged to do that. And all I'm saying is, again... The human connection. You walk the ground where these things happen and you cannot help but feel the gravity and the weight of it. And you can walk all around this boarding house. And this boarding house is original, but it's not the one that was there because it burned. But this is not like a much later reconstruction. This is a right after the war reconstruction by the same family in the same footprint of the house that it was. So this in and of itself is still a historic house. And you can go and stand right where all of this happened and you can look around and you can look down on the fields below you where the Union was trying to charge up this hill and you can seriously get a taste of what it might have been like. Let your imagination go and it, it's, it's pretty deep stuff, y'all, but it's, it's good stuff. It's good stuff to, to get in touch with, I think. And it's just beautiful location. Again, we're still up in the Ozark Highlands. We're still in the Ozarks. We're still in just absolutely beautiful territory. And Prairie Grove itself is a neat little town, y'all. So you need to get out and get to all of these battlefields. But these two in particular are two that pair well together because they go together. They're just a few miles from each other, less than, I would say, 15 minutes driving distance from each other. And they both have a lot of interesting things to teach you as well as being really, really close to this food truck. See, Jessica lives in Farmington, which is just outside Prairie Grove. And I'm just going to tell you, there's a food truck in Farmington called El Jefe's. And I don't know if any of you have ever had a case of Bria, but listen, this is heaven. Okay. This, this is heaven in this like deep fried taco thing. It's meat and it's cheese and a little bit of heaven sprinkled in and it's deep fried. And then you dip it in this like consomme um, sauce, consomme, and it's so damn good. Like I'm addicted to them quite literally. I've, I've come to actually start judging 
how good an area's food is by how good their local food trucks quesadillas are. And as a matter of fact, I'm starving right now. And I'm glad that I'm going to Farmington this weekend because you know what? It might be time for another quesadilla. Anyway, let's come on down the hill a little ways. Let's start closing in on wrapping this up a little bit. You know what? Before we roll into Fort Smith, and we're just going to do a little quick sweeping action at Fort Smith. I'm not going to get super deep into it because there's actually several little things around here that I think that you will find interesting for a multitude of reasons. Um, But I do want to jet over into Oklahoma real quick, which is just off the edge of the foothills, the rolling foothills in the Ozarks, in the green country. And that would be the Battle of Honey Springs. And it is a place that is ran by the Oklahoma State Historical Society. And what I'm going to tell you about Honey Springs, we're going to tell you, I'm going to tell you this real quickly, again, keeping it incredibly high level so we don't really get into the down and dirty um, and run all of you off. They have an incredible brand new visitor center, first and foremost. It is gorgeous. And they have one of the most incredible introduction, like orientation videos. You know, there's always orientation videos at national parks, state parks, historic sites. There's very often an orientation film and they were usually filmed 35 years ago in like 1990 and they're terrible quality, but they orient you. They do a good job of orient you, orienting you, but they're kind of hard to watch. Not here. This is like, they have three big screens on three walls around you. And you look at this general in front of you who is yelling at you and you look to the left and realize he's yelling to the soldiers and getting them hyped up to go into battle. And the soldiers are on the screen next to you, but the general's in front of you and on the other side. And then there's lights. There's like soundstage lights lighting up this this scene with all of these um, mannequins set out within the room. you're in. Y'all, it is beautiful. It's one of the most interactive experiences I've ever seen. And this thing was shot and it's like very, very much Hollywood quality type of stuff. I mean, yeah, when you're spending, you're not spending enough money to get like A-list actors, you know, we don't have Tom Cruise up there doing this, but these are good actors. This is high quality footage. The sound design is incredible. It is a whole experience, this little 15 minute introduction film. And they have a beautiful visitor center altogether and museum and the site director, which is Adam Lynn. I spent two hours talking to this guy. Now you guys know me by this point, everyone that's been around a while, it's not uncommon for old Justin to talk for two hours to the site supervisor or the site director or the, the interpreter at the site. Cause it's what I'm into is a lot of this nerdy stuff, right? But that guy knows his stuff. He's got a beautiful facility and it sets on an incredibly significant battlefield in the Indian Territory. At the time, it was the Indian Territory. And anyway, what I'm going to tell you about this battle and why it's significant and you should check it out. Number one, they have a great little driving tour. There's some hiking involved. You can see where this battle went down. But the thing that is so significant about this battlefield, this battle itself, is this was the first battle during the Civil War where whites were the minority. These were all, the vast majority were colored troops. First, you, well, was it first? Yes, first Kansas colored and Indian home guards. Everyone in this battle was a minority fighting for their own reasons. Okay, and I'm again, I'm not going to get into the details. You can go and find out for yourself, trying to keep it 
higher levels so I don't lose you all. But white men were the minority. These were First Kansas colored troops and Indian home guards. Indians fought on both sides. Indigenous peoples fought on both sides. First Kansas was obviously Union. Um, the colored troops were not ever fighting for the Confederates. I can tell you that. Um, and this battle, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty intense. But I want to read this to you, and this is why. The, again, these are the significant stories. These are the things that are important. Honey Springs, Indian Territory, Oklahoma, on July 17, 1863, the first Kansas colored fought with courage. Union troops under General James Blunt ran into a strong Confederate force under General Douglas Cooper. After a two-hour bloody engagement, Cooper's soldiers retreated. The first Kansas, which had held the center of the Union line, advanced to within 50 paces of the Confederate line and exchanged fire for some 20 minutes until the Confederates broke and ran. And here is the significant quote. General Blunt wrote after the battle, I never saw such fighting as was done by the Negro regiment. The question that Negroes will fight is settled. Besides, they make better soldiers in every respect than any troops I have ever had under my command. That's the significance of this battle. This battle is where African-American men fought for their own freedom. Fought for their own freedom and did so and distinguished themselves doing it. And that's the importance of a site like Honey Springs. And that's why you need to go and see a place like Honey Springs with your own eyes and stand on the field where that kind of bravery and courage was performed and go see it interpreted and go and see it for yourself. And Honey Springs is, again, absolutely beautiful visitor center. It's in beautiful terrain, beautiful territory, and there's a very important story there to be told. And you can go stand right where it happened and you can connect to it. You can connect to it yourself. And that's why I brought in Honey Springs for tonight's little tour of the battlefields of the Ozarks. Again, it's not exactly in the Ozark Mountains, but it's in the foothills, and I can count it. As such, I can count it. Also, it's my podcast, and I can do whatever the hell I want. So anyway, let's move on from Honey Springs, and let's come back into Oz Arkansas, into the River Valley, just off of the plateau into the Ozarks. And I get to do this also because I want to, because... Well, this is my podcast, and I volunteer down at Fort Smith, and I am going to say you need to come. When you come and do some of these adventures, if you come over here to explore any of our Civil War battlefields, you definitely need to get to Fort Smith. Why? Well, Fort Smith had quite a role in the Civil War. There weren't a ton of big battles fought here, but it was like the place that everyone was launching out of or trying to come and get. All of these other battles that we just talked about, they were all about either taking Arkansas or taking Missouri, but everything came down to Fort Smith because Fort Smith was like this ginormously overbuilt fort on the very westernmost edge of what was America forever. Um, and at this time, you've got this giant fort right on the confluence of like the biggest waterway coming through the heart of really the central United States and all of its tributaries. You know, the Mississippi goes straight up and down. The Missouri cuts across the northern states. This right here cuts right through the heart of everything, right through Indian Territory, right through Arkansas, all the way down to the Mississippi. And it was a crucial place. And so everyone wanted Fort Smith. And the people that had it, which was the Confederates for the first three years of the war, well, they had 
but significant advantage. And the union was trying to get it and come down from Missouri because they were hanging out, doing a lot of hanging out up in Springfield around the armory. And they needed Fort Smith. And that's what a whole lot of everything that happened comes down to is Fort Smith and its location. And that's where I get to interpret. And I love it. It's fascinating. And you guys, if any of you ever do plan to come, send me an email, mywaywardstorygmail.com. Already mentioned that, but send me an email. Let's see if we can coordinate because every other Sunday afternoon, that's where you'll find me. And perhaps I can give you the tour if you do want to come and explore. And also Fort Smith is way, way more expansive than just Civil War stuff. Y'all, anyone watching Bass Reeves, the TV show, historically inaccurate as a mofo, but really entertaining. And um, Bass was a real guy and he was a real badass. And he was right here in Fort Smith. That's part of the story that I get to interpret. You can come be where he is. There's a lot going on in Fort Smith. So come down and see us and holler at me and maybe I can give you a tour. But when you come to Fort Smith, what you can expect to find is interpretations of and to be able to stand in the place where so many things happened. I mean, I could take you from Fort Smith right down Towson Towson Avenue to Burger King. And if I set you there at Burger King and we could go back in time 150 years What you would hear is cannon fire from the top of that hill because it was one of the field forts and a battle occurred right there on Towson Avenue. It was the Towson Road at the time or the Texas Road. It was one road called the same thing. Um, And people died right out there. There's still two of the rifle pits from that field fort can be seen. Um, They're heavily eroded and you have to know what you're looking for. And they're on private property, but that's all that exists of any of the earthworks that were around Fort Smith and they were extensive and you can go stand right where these things were. Um, when you stand on the grounds at Fort Smith, you stand right where men like, and this is, this is an interesting one. I'm going to tell you this real quick. This is one of the vignettes that I talked about. We're going to talk about Fort Smith mustered in the 11th U S colored troops. This was another colored troop division and Fort Smith mustered in these guys. And they were stationed right there at the fort for a portion of the war. And there was a battle on a place called Gunter's Prairie, just 12 miles from Fort Smith. And three Union soldiers were killed, three U.S. colored troops, and one of them's name was Stephen Arbuckle. And I just happened into this the other day by chance. And I'm going down a rabbit hole now because I want to find out where this guy is buried because you want to talk about a story. This man was a slave in Sebastian County, here the county that I live in, and he found a way whether he ran away or became a freedman through just the ravages of the war, but he ended up in Fort Smith mustering in to fight for his own freedom. And he gave his life less than a year later, right across the river, trying to protect a hay operation, which was hugely important because if you don't have horses in this war, you got problems. And they were over there trying to protect a hay operation. They came under attack from Indian Home Guard, understand Wadey or Wadi, depending on who you are and how you want to pronounce his name, which was the last Confederate general to actually surrender. He was a Cherokee man. And anyway, this guy died and he died in a horrific fashion. He was, had, did have his throat. He was shot. And as he tried to get away from that, after he was shot, he had his throat slit and then he was disemboweled. He was literally gutted. There was ferocity. That's all I'm saying. There was ferocity amongst people and it's horrid. But this guy mustered in right there here at Fort Smith. He went out there. He perished right there, and he's either buried on that prairie or he was brought back here to Fort Smith. And I haven't been able to find that out yet, but this is a story that I have to tell. 
I want to tell this story and I have to tell it and I've got to see it through. So I'm going to be going down a rabbit hole for a while to see if I can find out where this man is buried. Cause that's a story I need to be able to interpret when people come and learn about what happened here at Fort Smith. So when you're out here looking for the battlefields in Arkansas, come by Fort Smith and we can point you in the right direction. And show you where a lot of stuff happened. And there were men that died right there in Fort Smith. There was action right at Fort Smith. It wasn't huge action. But the Confederates would come up the Poto River. And or on the peninsula just outside the Poto River where the confluence is. And they would fire cannons and shoot into the fort. Just to harass and cause trouble. Like there are things that really occurred right there. And you can come stand where it was. And you can see it with your own eyes. And it's it's a great driving trip. I mean, for a matter of fact, there's a lot you can do here, guys. From right here in Fort Smith, and and this is how we're going to wrap it up tonight. I'm going to touch on just a couple of things you can do here that'll take you um, to somewhere that'll tell a little bit more of the story of the battlefields of Arkansas, of the Ozarks, of Indian Territory, of Missouri. If you come to Fort Smith, you can come check out down at the historic site. You can find Judge Parker's courtroom. You can learn about Bassery's, but you can learn all about the Civil War in Arkansas. And when you're done, you can go over to Bricktown Brewery, which sets in Adelaide Hall, less than two blocks away. You can walk right to it. And why is that interesting? Well, one, they make good food. I'm a big fan of Bricktown. But two, now that building itself was not a witness building. But if you go in there and eat, you are literally taking up the same geospatial-like GPS coordinate of the blacksmith shop where a man created Bowie knives and armed Confederate troops with Bowie knives through the entire time that the Confederates had the fort, and it was under their control. To me, that's, again, that's crazy. You can go have a good meal, get you a beer if you want one, but you're also literally setting in the exact location where a man was doing the work to arm one side in the Civil War. I mean, it's the wrong side, but it's still fascinating to consider, isn't it? Isn't it? Anyway, we have a lot going on here that's fascinating. Fascinating to see if you're into those kinds of road trips. And finally, this is how we're going to wrap it up tonight. Finally. Well, you know what? One other little quick aside. You can scoot right over into Van Buren. You can go into downtown Van Buren. And they have like, they're super famous for all of their Victorian era buildings. There's a lot of beautiful things to take photos from. The A&M train ride. You can take the train ride out of Van Buren on the right Saturdays. Just like I told you guys a few episodes ago. You can get all kinds of candy. You can do shopping. You can take all these photos. There's a lot you can do in downtown Van Buren. But one of the things you can do is stand there in Van Buren. And think about how it had you been standing there some 150, 60 years ago. I don't. I didn't do the math and I don't really care to, but if you'd been standing there, if you could take a, a time machine back in time right there on that street, there would have been union troops chasing Confederate troops right down that street while you were out shopping. This really happened. People had no idea what was going on because it happened so fast, but union troops came barreling into town and chased the Confederates right down main street. People were walking in and out of stores. People were conducting business at the banks and war was happening in Van Buren. And there was a little siege that happened where the Union set up cannons and where Fairview Cemetery is now and was firing shots across the river to try to stop the Confederates who were firing shots back into the town where all the civilians were. It's insanity. Happened right there in Van Buren. 
and you can go check it out for yourself. And they have a lot of great places to eat too, right there in downtown Van Buren. But now we're going to wrap it up and we're going to call this an episode for tonight. And God dang, I hope I didn't bore the hell out of you guys. I hope that this doesn't turn out to be like the giant turd, the giant egg that Wayward Son laid out of all of our podcast episodes. I hope this isn't the one that sucks since we've got a whole gaggle of new listeners who are just checking in. Let's hope this isn't the one that bombs. Anyway, we're going to wrap this up with one of the best drives anyone could ever take anywhere. And people, in fact, do come from all over the United States and the world from time to time to drive. And it is Talamina Drive, and it is down in the Ouachita Mountains. So see, I'm a little bit anarchist at heart. I named this episode for the Ozarks, but I care not for your societal conventions. And we're going to go down into the Ouachita's. Why are we going there? Talamina Scenic Drive, especially in the fall, is one of the most gorgeous drives you will ever see. It runs from Mena, Arkansas to Tallahena, Oklahoma. Well, not exactly to Tallahena, but it doesn't matter. Talamina Scenic Drive. And the reason we're going there, why are we going there, Justin? What's that got to do with the Civil War? Well, I'm going to tell you what it has to do with the Civil War. And this goes to show you the human impact that war has. And it makes you think about what's going on in other parts of the world, really. We start to think about how wars have happened and we have these refugee crises. We're going to Talamina Scenic Drive because there was and is evidence there of a refugee crisis. And I find it fascinating because though I cannot prove this, I have no doubt the people that ended up on top of this mountain taking refuge from the ravages of the guerrilla warfare that was just absolutely pillaging its way around western Arkansas. Again, I told you, we didn't have a major, major engagement. Um, Though we had some pretty hefty little skirmishes and a lot of interesting things going on in our area. Guerrilla warfare was the rule of the day down here in the River Valley. And people's lives were wrecked. There was so much destruction that neither side, whenever they had the fort, whether it was the Confederates or the Union, neither side could even feed their troops or their horses. People were starving to death because the countryside was absolutely denuded of crops and everything else for the war effort. And you had guerrillas from either side, the opposite of whoever was in possession of the fort at whatever time it was, going through the countryside, just wreaking havoc and hell and destroying people's lives and raiding and raping and pillaging and robbing. And people had no hope. And so people ran and we had our own refugee crises. And one of those situations landed on top of Rich Mountain and Talamina Drive runs right through the heart of it. There was a small community there of people who landed there during the Civil War who were trying to get away from the ravages of that war, which again, in our area, they were just families trying to get away from the guerrilla warfare. Guarantee it. Can't prove it, but I promise you that's what was going on. It all matches up. But why we're going there is because up there is no longer this community. But what there is is a place called Pioneer Cemetery. And Pioneer Cemetery is there from the people who settled the top of Rich Mountain as they tried to flee the war. And it has a very interesting story within it. Number one is just the place that shows you this, this is what happened. You know, this is the kind of outcome that you can expect from an event like this. It makes it real to you. It helps bring it home. And this cemetery has one of the latest graves in it is actually the 1960s. This community lasted quite some time, but there's nothing left of it now except for this cemetery. And the one story that we know about this cemetery, and it is 
folklore. It is oral tradition, but it is even stated on state websites. Um, it is stated as, you know, a part of the oral tradition. And I actually don't have a whole lot of reason to doubt it. But the first supposedly first grave that was in that cemetery was that of a young girl who went out at night to get water for her family. She had a sick family and she went out to the spring in the middle of the night. It was in the winter and she was going to bring water back much needed for everyone who was sick, probably to help with a fever. And anyway, was cornered by wolves and ended up up a tree and froze to death overnight, trying to wait out the wolves. And she was the first internment supposedly in this cemetery. And that's the, um, that is the story as it stands. But this cemetery is there for one reason. And one reason alone is because a lot of families were trying to get away from the ravages of the civil war in this area. And I promise you, they were probably right down here in this river Valley and they may have even been, and this is pure speculation. So don't quote me, but they may have even been, um, secessionist. They may have been on the side of the Confederacy because they fled South. They fled up the mountain further into the Confederacy. Um, but either way, they were on top of this mountain trying to eke out an existence and stay the hell out of the Civil War. And Pioneer Cemetery is a place you can visit to this day and see some of these old, I mean, again, most of the headstones don't even have anything written on them. They're just rock markers. But you can see that. And it's a beautiful drive. And it's a fascinating bit of history. And you're not very far from Queen Wilhelmina State Park. And if you wanted, you could grab you one more little state park stamp to put on your passport. And did I mention it's a beautiful drive, especially in the fall? Listen, some of the best scenery you're ever going to see is the Washita Mountains. It's one of, it is our best kept secret. The Ozarks are out of the bag and hell, everyone doesn't, I mean, God, I don't even want to go into the Ozarks anymore. It's so crowded. I don't even want to go into those arcs anymore. But the Washita's, nobody's going into the Washita's. And they're just as beautiful, just as dramatic, and just as full of recreation as our fine Ozarks are. But actually even more full because pretty much the whole damn range is national forest and free for you to use however the heck you want to. For the most part. Except for like, I don't know, running moonshine. Don't do that. But anyway, guys, I think that's going to have to wrap it up for us tonight. There's a lot of stuff I missed and I still ran long. There's a lot of things that, you know, like I said, I tried to keep it high level and hopefully I did. Hopefully this was, this one's a little bit touristy. There isn't a whole lot of crazy backcountry adventure in here. This is pretty touristy. It's a driving trip. A lot of driving trips, actually. You couldn't do all this in one day, but I'm hoping it gave you a good high level overview of an interesting aspect of our Arkansas experience here, our Ozarks experience, our Washita's experience, Oklahoma, the Indian Territory, Missouri. Hopefully it's maybe exposed you to something you didn't know before and maybe given you an idea of, you know, something that could get you out for a weekend, take you on a little adventure and get you in touch with a little known aspect of our history. And I say that with a clear conscience because I grew up here. And as I said, I think my history teachers failed miserably because I had no damn idea that there was this much that you could see with your own eyes and they just really missed a teaching opportunity with something they could just drop you into and say, here, let me make it real for you. No idea. No idea. Up until the last 10 years, the civil war happened somewhere over in Georgia in my mind in Pennsylvania. So anyway, guys, I hope that you found tonight's show interesting. Again, I hope this wasn't the turd that the wayward son laid because 
this would be the wrong one to do it after we get this huge influx of new listeners. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. If you did, again, please like, subscribe, rate, review. Um, if you want to get in touch, and I highly encourage or I heavily encourage you to, um, mywaywardstory at gmail.com or go check out the website. You can get access to the the Instagram, Facebook, anything else you want to, waywardstories.com. And uh, yeah, I think that's about it. I'm just glad to have been on board with you guys tonight. It was good to be back here in the studio. Good old Studio 119, home sweet home. And uh, we'll catch you in a couple of weeks. And hopefully I can think of something to talk about between now and then. Hopefully we can get out on an adventure this weekend or something and I'll have some Something fresh to bring you. But until we meet again, you guys get out. Go find you a road trip. Go find you a battlefield to explore or whatever it is that your heart loves to do. Get out there and find yourself. But get off of that couch. And until next time, you guys remember to be good to each other. <laughs>